Hello, and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops, I'm your host, and today I'm very excited to bring you a special guest, Kevin Tomlinson. Welcome a to the show, Kevin. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. <laughs> yeah, it's a, blast, it. it's a blast getting a chance to hang out with you at any time, but uh, this yeah. is fun to be able to do an interview with you. Yeah, we normally only see each other at, uh, at NIC. Uh, you go flying off with folks and leave me behind. <laughs> Well, you. I hope you're going to be there in the in the pilot seat next next year at the next. We'll give it a uh, shot. There's an airplane, so we can go buzz around. The, we'll give it a shot. Bag. I dig it. Yeah. Um, downside of this is we you don't get to you know share a beer together like usual um, <clears throat> conference style, but we can still we'll catch up. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll just call this one ode, and then, um, <laughs> next uh, next link we'll we'll make sure that we catch up on those beers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, for most people watching, you're you're kind of a household name. You're a big deal in the indie space. Everyone, oh. you know, anyone who's listened to Joanna Penn's podcast has probably heard your voice. Um, yeah. you know, a lot of people have have met you at different conferences or just heard of you through your work with Drafted Digital. But um, I'd love to chat a little bit about Kevin Tumlinson, the author. Um, can you tell people a little, bit, a little bit about what you write and uh, how you got into the writing business? All right. Um... At right now, I write archaeological thrillers, uh, something I got into thanks to my buddy Nick Thacker, um, who kind of goaded me into that, and uh, and I'm very grateful. Um, for a long time, I wrote science fiction and fantasy, which didn't sell as well. So uh, the, the books that I write now are fantastic. They let me uh, explore all the same themes, all the same ideas. But uh, in a more grounded way, in a way that's actually, I've discovered, is a lot more fun for me. So hmm. I got into it because I've just always been a writer. I mean, I, I started writing very young. You know, five years old, I was writing what I thought of as a book. And, uh, you know, I drew my own cover and everything. So I was even my own cover designer back then. And I, I always did it. Um, you know, I got, into, I got into writing for journalism uh, in school. Uh, which led to writing professionally at like 12 years old. I was writing uh, articles for our local paper, covering events and that sort of thing. And wow. it just sort of kept, you know, cascading uh, from yeah. there. I, it just get, grew and grew and grew. Uh, and I never really, I mean, I always knew I was a writer. I always knew that's what I was going to do. I just tended to have side careers that I thought I had to do so that one day I could retire and write full time. Never really occurred to me that I could retire and write full time anyway. If I, yeah, <laughs> if I stick to it and focus on it, so. no need to retire. Just go straight for for the good stuff. Yeah, no right? need to retire. Yeah, yeah, just do it. Well, that's fantastic. Um, you talked. To, you said something that I found especially interesting here. You said you were switching from science fiction and fantasy to archaeological thrillers, and you found it. I want to talk about that for a second. Um, you said that you kind of grounded it and you were able to you know, kind of still have a lot of the same fun. What, what is some of the fun that you love to put into your archaeological thrillers that makes you excited to write them? Well, I can tell you um, one of the things that was always exciting to me. I, I have very eclectic tastes. I, I read a lot of history. I read a lot of science. Uh, I read you know, all sorts of white papers and studies. and uh, I, I just always have done that. And uh, you know, in my science fiction, I could put a lot of that to work. Maybe not so much the history, uh, sometimes the history, but, you know, all the quantum physics and that sort of thing that I was into, mm -hmm. I could put that to work as part of the story. Uh, when I started writing thrillers, I purposefully created a character 
who, uh, if, you know, he's a superhuman. I mean, he's a multi PhD. He's, uh, he went with both history and science as, as a background. He's a quantum, he's got a quantum physics PhD. He's got his, uh, anthropology, uh, background. He works as an anthropologist, but because of all this, I, I can bring those elements in. I can yeah. have a lot of fun with it. Um, yeah. and the sort of running theme of my current series, uh, the Dan Collar series, is uh, sort of misplaced history, uh, out-of-place history. Uh, so you'll have scenarios like in the first book, uh, we we kind of come across this idea of Vikings having uh, lived side-by-side with uh, the indigenous people of North America in, mm. you know, back, you know, when, in a, a time period that we wouldn't have expected. And yeah. uh, finding there some evidence of a Viking presence in Pueblo, Colorado, of all places. So, <clears throat> you know, little things like that. Um, and then I get to kind of bring some history of science into it with uh, with later volumes. Like the discovery of uh, an underground chamber, chamber in London that was a secret lab for Isaac Newton. You know, and... It, Technologies that we didn't know uh, existed, yeah. <laughs> being being put to modern day nefarious purposes. So it's just um, it's fun because it's the kind of story that I always loved reading and, and always loved seeing in films and on television. It didn't yeah. quite click with me that I could create those stories. I I kind of got locked into the idea of well, I've got to tell I've got to tell science fiction stories because I grew up reading hmm. primarily science fiction. Uh, but it's it's been wonderful to discover this this genre and to dig in and really have a good time with it. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a blast. Um, for one of the for some people, I would imagine it's sort of an intimidating genre based on the amount of research that you probably have yeah. to do and the history, of course. Um, is there a way that you've sort of found your way to streamlining that process when it comes? Because you, yeah. you're fairly prolific. You put out a lot of books. Um, so yeah. how do you how do you do your research? Um, I cheat. I. Uh, <laughs> And I, I, I'm half kidding with that. I mean, I first of all, I've, this is a to, these are topics I'm already interested in. So right. I've been reading about them for years, decades. Um, and what's funny about uh, our interests, like we'll when we're into something, we tend to think, oh, well, everybody knows this stuff. You know, a lot of the material that I've used in my books has come from things I've discovered over the past forty plus years. Uh, and I always thought, well, everyone knows this story. Uh, turns out that's not true. And uh, a lot of times you, you are the first source that a reader may have mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to something you've, you've stumbled across uh, throughout your life. That and um, I still um, I actively read quite a bit on various topics. I let my interests guide me. Um, the, the book I'm currently working on, uh, I had read quite a bit about um, basically... Code breaking, uh, you know things like the Enigma machine, and yeah. uh, you know uh, William Friedman and his wife Elizabeth, and you know the, the the American Black Chamber and that sort of thing. I'd been reading about this quite a bit, things that I hadn't heard about, yeah. and uh, so now that I have, I've digested that and exp- expanded on it and put it into the books. But uh, what's really interesting to me, not everything I write, you know, I'm writing fiction. So I use t- actual touch points of history mm-hmm. and actual touch points of science in the books, but then I I veer off to the right or left, and <laughs> and then everything else is made up. So it's yeah. not like you know every word of this uh, story about involving Sir Isaac Newton 
or uh, Thomas Edison or, or some figure of history is, you know, literal research, a lot of times it's, you know, I found this obscure fact about them and then I spun a whole story off of it. And so it may yeah. or may not be real. But what's interesting to me is how readers are coming to me and saying, you know, after I read that book, I got really interested in that topic and I went and read everything I could find about it. Turns out I'm not far off a lot of times. I mean, so a lot of what I'm writing is complete BS, but I'm not that far <laughs> off when it comes to the actual history of it. Yeah, well, that's it makes it so much more fun. And it, when, when you get people excited about it, you know, through your fiction, and then can inspire people to go and do the research to look up whether yeah. or not you're you're getting yeah. it right or not, that's that's a win, I think. If you've got if you've already they, inspired them, they will let you know when you've got something wrong. That's for sure. <laughs> um, I had uh, in. Let's see, in Girl in the Mayan Tomb, I had written about a specific type of plant that has like a razor. I can't remember the name of it. This is how yeah. this is how casually I had thrown it in there. But I had yeah. mentioned that they were in this specific region and they were cutting away this plant that had razor edges. Because mm-hmm. uh, I wanted there, there to be some environmental danger that wasn't snakes or crocodiles or whatever. Right, yeah. uh, man, I had, I had one guy just... Apparently he was a botanist, and uh, <laughs> he knew that that plant did not exist in that region. Further yeah. south, sure, uh, but he's like, I guess it's conceivable that it may have migrated. Or, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I I didn't go to that level of research, but I'm glad you did. So that yeah. that makes it fun for me, actually. It's funny how readers will, will get you on that too, even if it's science fiction. If you're writing a, you can be writing a fantasy story, but then they'll come and complain about something like that, even though there's another part of the book has magical elements or. You know, well, right, because we're re- you know readers tend to be um, they tend to be very loyal to their to whatever it is you know that genre for mm-hmm. example, uh, and you know they're we make the mistake sometimes of not realizing that you know readers aren't idiots you know readers are actually quite intelligent mm-hmm. uh, typically if they're going to read your work they know something something about it resonated with them and connected with them so they may actually know something about the topic. Yeah. So, you know, you you might as well uh, prepare yourself to, to receive that kind of feedback. That's just, readers yeah. can be, um, you know, they can be they, protective of that information. And I would consider archaeological right. thrillers to be um, a fairly intelligent sort of genre. Because you're... I think that's that may actually be the number one reason why I like writing this genre. Yeah. To be completely honest about it. Because I'm writing to people, and I'm just going to toot my own horn here. I'm writing people <laughs> like me who are interested, yeah. who read a lot and read, yeah. read widely and uh, and are intelligent. So I don't mind, uh, you know, I don't get a lot of negative feedback. I get negative feedback over other things. Uh, someone finds a typo and they they pan me for editing mm. uh, or something like that. That's And I don't get that a lot either, So right, especially yeah. these days. So. Yeah. We've had a couple of comments. Uh, Andrea says hi. Marilyn says howdy. And then uh, Ronnie, Ronnie Roberts says, hey, g- glad to catch you and Kevin. So you got some people watching and saying hello. Thank you, Andrea, Marilyn, and Ronnie for watching. If I'm not have... used to doing these live, so. Yeah, yeah it's, it's part of the fun. So if uh, <laughs> any of you watching have questions for Kevin and if you'd like me to ask them, definitely uh, comment and I'll try to get those comments to you. Or if you're watching the replay later and you have a question for sure. Kevin, definitely throw it in the comments and we'll see if Kevin can come back and answer your questions later on as well. It's easy to get me back. <laughs> so, um, just real quick before we move on from the books, can you tell us a little bit about specifically the Antarctic Forgery, your re- latest release, and what the uh, the main hook is there? Yeah, this is um, 
so this book actually ends a, a through line story that has been woven throughout um, the rest of the series. I started in in the second book in this series. I started. I introduced a character um, and this sort of vast. I don't want to ruin uh, anything about that book, but I introduced a, a specific character and this like uh, smuggling network that they control. Um, and what I did was for the next three books. Each book can stand alone. Each book has its own A story, but there was this B story that uh, that I wove in and out of it. And um, some readers did not like that, um, but I think um, it paid off because in this book I I take that and I make it the A story. Okay. Um, and it become it and I I finish it basically. Yeah. So it, it's really interesting. It's about um, the discovery of this map of Antarctica that actually. Uh, I based this on a an actual map, the Piri Reis map, which is supposedly an, a uh, map of Antarctica without the snow, uh, when it was a thriving, uh, you know, nation uh, with seaports and cities and that sort of thing. Wow. Um, and this shows hints of that. Um, the map the, that I feature is not the Piri Reis map in this book. It's a it's a different one, uh, but it has a similar. Um, motif we'll say yeah. and uh it's discovered to be a forgery and somebody wants their hands on it for some reason and uh we discovered that there are all sorts of hidden codes and messages embedded in it so that that's a trope of uh of this genre of course yeah. but it was a lot of fun to kind of pull that together um i didn't do myself any favors by the way throughout the other books i introduced elements of this without knowing what I was going to do with it, ah, okay. uh, including these three artifacts that uh, I made pivotal to the whole thing. And then when I got to the story, realized I don't know what those three artifacts are supposed <laughs> to do. <laughs> so I had to come up with something. And I think what yeah. I came up with worked out very well. So the, be the book's been well-received so far. It, it released on uh, December 15th, so it's only been out, you know, not quite a week yet. And yeah. uh, it's already doing pretty well. So I'm excited. Congratulations. On the, on the launch, and it sounds like a lot of fun. Anytime you can get you know codes and maps and things like that's just that's just right. And Nazis. Oh, and Nazis. Of course, every thriller writer is required by law to include Nazis in a story at some point. Yeah. So this is mine. You're checking that box. <laughs> that box is checked. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is just, that's this is all all really fun stuff. And um, um, for people who are maybe just starting out um, writing or, or interested in writing an archaeological thriller, besides Codes and maps and Nazis. What are some other uh, go-to tropes that you think are, are some of the tropes? Um, you know, it's really pretty wide open as long as it involves history of some kind. Um, it doesn't. You know, I, I've I've ranged so far in these books from ancient Egypt to you know to the Vikings to uh, uh, American Indian culture uh, that sort of thing, and also to somewhat more modern stuff. You know, get, dipping back into just Maybe World War II era um, history, uh, maybe a little further back with Isaac Newton and, and Thomas Edison and guys like that. But uh, the tropes are, you know, you have to include some history. Um, you don't want to tell the story in history, although you can flash back to things if you want to. Mm -hmm. uh, there needs to be a MacGuffin, you know. There needs to be right. the Ark of the Covenant that that somebody's after. Yep. And in some cases, it's literally the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, there has to be, um, you know, th there's action, uh, reasonable action. Uh, there's usually a world threat of some kind that that somehow you're 
protagonist is uh, striving to, to resolve. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really, it's the typical, if you think of Indiana Jones mm-hmm. or Da Vinci Code or National Treasure, the, these are these are typical of the genre. You can yeah. you can build from that. I, I leaned a, a lot more towards Indiana Jones, sort of a uh, Da Vinci Code meets Indiana Jones kind of okay. thing. Any major don'ts for the genre? Things that readers definitely um, don't want to see in your archaeological Yes. The, you can have fantastical elements, including mm-hmm. sci-fi and, and fantasy elements in, in mm-hmm. your story, uh, but they, they can't be taken as a given. Uh, as my as as Nick Thacker puts it, I think I'm going to try to paraphrase him and butcher it. But you know, the idea here is um, in science fiction, you would take the science as a given. If a, if there's a spaceship, if there's a ray uh, a energy weapon or something, um, it that just exists. You take it for granted. But in a, um, a thriller, it would have to it would have to be explained. The mm-hmm. science behind it would have to have some history. You'd have to, you know, you'd have to work out the details of how it works a little. You don't have to go into Tom Clancy level explanations, but but yeah, start uh, as a skeptic kind of. I mean, you have right. to assume that a skeptical viewpoint right. from and the beginning. You can get away with a lot, but uh, but the yeah. rule there is you have to give the reader uh, reasons for what you're doing. So, yeah. if, as far as they don't, uh, don't just throw mad cat science in deus ex machina type stuff in mm-hmm. uh and and leave leave it to you know well you're just going to have to suspend disbelief and run with it suspension of disbelief still happens in these yeah. books but it is metered right <laughs> you know they're the not level of just streams yeah. right right maybe don't put your hero in a refrigerator then have a nuclear bomb go off I am so sick of <laughs> that movie, man. You have no, you have no idea. Like yeah. I, but I try not to be too critical these days. I used to be yeah. hypercritical of that stuff. Yeah. And I started thinking about it. I'm like, well, what did we expect that to be? I, I, I know Crystal Skull should have been a lot better than it was. If I had yeah. written it, I, I would have done a, a much different story. But they didn't pay me to write it, so yeah. maybe the next it one. got made. They'll <laughs> <laughs> have to. Recruit you on a, on a, you know movie five maybe. when it comes out. Let's see what maybe, let's see. <laughs> well, maybe we can uh, shift gears just for a minute because I know that your the other hat that you wear um, is director of marketing for mm-hmm. Draft Digital. So um, I understand you have got a couple of uh, announcements from DDD that you could. We got one as of today. Um, we just sent the email out about this, but we just introduced uh, what we're calling DDD shared accounts, mm-hmm. and this is pretty sweet. If you are, um, depending on what you know your level here, if you are someone who uses like a virtual assistant or an author assistant uh, to help with your work, what we've done is create a way for you to share limited access to your account so that um, you can let someone else manage the books. Uh, you know, which includes you know uploading a new book, mm-hmm. changing covers, descriptions, keywords, all that, and even choosing where the book goes, so where you're distributing, listing and delisting, all of that. They can do all those functions, but you, they won't have any access to your financial stuff. So they mm-hmm. won't know how much you're making in royalties. They they can't change your tax information or your bank account information. So right. it takes some of the risk out of that. So this is probably one of the most requested features we we have had 
for Draft to Digital. Uh, so we just released it today, and if you go uh, to our blog um, right now, uh, draftdigital.com slash blog. If you go there, it's the first it's the first story on the list. You can read about it. And I made a t- like a twenty minute walkthrough of the whole thing, uh, which will be on which is on YouTube. And I just realized I didn't make it it uh, live. I didn't make it yeah. uh, public, but it is you can still watch it. Okay. So after this call, I gotta go make it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, you heard it here first, people. So this is um, yeah, that's that's a really cool tip. And you guys are just so cutting edge when it comes to solutions for authors, which I think is fantastic, that you're so well connected, obviously, you're out there at the conferences, you're talking every day with authors, and and really getting right into the weeds with the authors and their current problems and the current atmosphere. Well, you know, it helps a lot that we have authors on staff, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, one of our founders, uh, Aaron Pogue, was an author Mm -hmm. and and needed these features, Mm -hmm. you know, needed something better than the alternatives that were out there and uh you know when i came along in 2016 um i was a big fan i've always been a big fan of the company so it was mm-hmm. really easy to to get excited about what they were doing like i was already geeking out over everything they were doing and yeah. so it's, it's been amazing joining the team now we have mark lefave on the team yep formerly from Love kobo mark. we're all you know that's three major authors well mm-hmm. okay let me back that up <laughs> two, two major authors and me and then <laughs> we've got uh, people on staff who are currently writing their books, mm-hmm. uh, people on staff who just have worked in the industry and love the industry, it's just everybody there knows exactly what this is about, you know, yeah. and, and are just doing an incredible job of not only, I mean, it's not just about building the tools, it's about figuring out which tools the authors need most right now and building those, because we've got mm-hmm. a whole board full of things ahead. I mean, yeah. there's a roadmap. A, this insane roadmap uh, for the next few years. Um, so it's not just about figuring out how to build these things. It's also timing. Like, for example, uh, Dra- draft to digital introduced shared universes, DDD shared universes. Mm-hmm. That is a replacement for Kindle Worlds. Um, it was always something that was on our list, but when when Amazon just abruptly shut down Kindle Worlds. Uh, we we jumped in and started building, making sure we had the pieces in place, and we built it. Uh, and that's going to launch. I mean, it's basically ready to go. I think we've got a few few other things to kind of work out. Mm-hmm. Some of which is tied to what we're currently releasing, like the account management, things like that, yeah. um, royalty splitting, and all that's going to be part right, of this. But yeah. that that's there. I mean, it's all there, and it's been tough to kind of get it all built as quickly as we would like. But no one else is even attempting it, so we're very excited to, to release that. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's perfect that you have services and functions from everyone from the person just starting out to you know, these more advanced features, where right. someone who is doing well enough that they've got a virtual assistant and they you know got need help with managing all, everything they've got going on. So I think it's yeah. great the broad spectrum that you guys have. Um, it's like a video game, man. Every every level you get, you, you know, achievement unlocked. And now yeah. it's, you know, you go from just publishing to everybody. I mean, the basics are we have our templates, uh, the layout templates. We'll do your conversion for you for both e- ebook and print. Mm-hmm. We've got those cool the cool templates. So if you don't have, you know, everybody loves Vellum and and everyone loves the layout software that's out there. Uh, but if you can't afford that or don't have, don't 
know how to use that, we have a way for you to do that for free. Uh, mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what operating system you're on. You can use it on your phone if you need to. I've done it. Uh, so we've, you know, we start there. That's that's the very basic stuff. And with features like account sharing, um, we're kind of getting into the sort of high level. Well, you know, I don't. I don't have a good name for this. I mean, the advanced level, yes, yeah. where <laughs> where you're, you know, you've got assistants. If you've got an assistant running things for you, uh, there are very that, few yeah. tools. Yeah, there aren't that many tools out there for you, specifically for you. Right. Uh, so we know that that's a need, and that's what we're building. I think that's great because as this indie revolution, especially, evolves, you know, each yeah. the people who were the front runners seven years ago are now so advanced that they're kind of, you know, constantly forging ahead into new territory and they're right. bringing this huge wave of others up along behind them. And, you yeah. know, whatever level we're at, there's always someone, you know, above you, there's always someone behind you, but we can all help each other and share this kind of knowledge with each other, which is right. one of the reasons why I'm excited to have you on as a guest yeah. because, you know, you're the perfect sort of guest for this, this show because you are one of the faces behind the scenes that's making it happen. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is exactly who I was trying to feature. Behind the scenes where my face belongs. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, well, but before while we talk about your your um, other behind the scenes activities, um, we should talk about the your smooth radio voice for one thing, and the <laughs> fact that you've got uh, not only do do we hear your voice on Joanna Penn's podcast and occasional other you know guest podcasts, but you have your own podcast. You've got yeah. uh, the Word Slinger. Can you tell people yeah. a little bit about your your goal with the Wordslinger podcast and how, Word, how that started? Yeah, Wordslinger podcast started as um, because I was I became an indie author. Um, I, I looked around the landscape and thought, oh, everybody is required to have an author podcast if they become an indie author because everybody did. Yeah. Um, but I had started off listening to the uh, self publishing podcast guys and. Uh, really enjoyed what they were doing, mm-hmm. wanted to be a part of the fun, and uh, started thinking about it and realized, okay, everybody's doing an author podcast. Originally, what I had intended was to do something that was that was um, uh, wide open, that would let me just talk to anybody I wanted to talk to. Mm-hmm. And I had a couple of reasons for that. I, I wanted to, to learn more, mm-hmm. so I wanted to talk to authors, uh, not just authors, but entrepreneurs of all stripes. I wanted to be able to talk to anybody I found interesting who maybe had something they could teach me. And um, I reached, you know, I, I, I created the show for that as a, a platform for me to learn um, and to connect with people. So that was that was where it all started. And then I, you know, I wanted to be able to share with other people uh, what I was learning. So it was a natural fit. Um, Not just authors, but entrepreneurs of all stripes. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> it bore repeating. Uh, <laughs> no, so that was, uh, you know, it was a chance for me to, I it, really, I made a mistake in, in a sense. Because what I had hoped would happen was I'd start this podcast, it would become wildly popular, and people would buy more of my books. Um, what it did was put me on a path on the nonfiction side of, of writing that I hadn't intended to be on. Uh, it fit pretty well with my career up to then because I'd been copywriting and uh, I'd worked in film and TV and radio and I'd worked in advertising and you know it fit well with the career I already had but not necessarily with the career I wanted. Uh, mm. So in a sense, it was a mistake. 
But on the other side of that, it's been a tremendous learning opportunity. It's been a great opportunity to network with other uh, industry professionals. It directly led to my um, my work with Draft Digital. Um, it's you know it opened up uh, pathways that I, I never would have explored on my own. You know, never would have thought about on my own. Yeah. Uh, and since then, it's just become this. You know, there's been a few times where I thought yeah, I should wind this down. It's time consuming to produce. It's you know, it's, it's just a lot of work, you know, yeah. and I don't really benefit from it financially. In order to benefit from it from it financially, I would have to, uh, I'd basically have to put more energy into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't, I don't, ha- I don't, I already do enough. Yeah. Um, but what I've come to realize, I will get emails from people, voicemails sometimes. Uh, people ping me on uh, Facebook or elsewhere, and they will tell me, you know, I was listening to or I was watching the latest episode, and this really hit home with me. Um, and I'm so glad that you you talked to this person because I I never would have considered you know mm-hmm. reaching out to that person or following them or, or whatever. And I just learned something new. the mm-hmm. The key for me is that I don't just talk to authors. I talk to uh, all kinds of people. I, I've talked I talked to a guy in his 80s who has a program called Never Leave the Playground, which is all about you know, play as physical fitness. You know, yeah. uh, he can he can run he can run circles around me. <laughs> He's like eighty eight years old. He could outrun me, uh, out out everything me. Um, but what did we learn from that? Maybe nothing that we can apply directly to writing. But I think that there is there is a lesson. You yeah. know, there's this idea. Uh, in a lot of ways, as a writer, I never want to leave that playground. I never want to leave the sandbox of my imagination. I want to constantly exercise the what-ifs and the, the whys that I used to ask when I was an annoying little toddler. And because of that, um, the work stays fun for me, and I keep doing it even when things get kind of tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's there are all these lessons we can learn from the people around us. Um, as authors, We can. it is an author podcast. Just, I'll make it clear. It's all about the story behind the story. It's all about the people um, out there creating things in the world. And I may not always talk to authors, but it is for authors always. Mm -hmm. And that's just the audience. Anyone can listen in. Anyone can enjoy it and get something out of it. I'm convinced of that. Uh, But it is definitely a, a show for authors. And it's been pretty amazing. I... There, there have been some, some of the more poignant moments of my life have also come from that show. Um, you know, some of my guests uh, have sadly passed away, mm-hmm. um, and you know uh, that their that interview was the last public appearance that they made. Yeah, um, it was a very moving, moving interview and moving intro. You did I listen to that episode? Yeah, I've had a couple of my guests pass, mm. um, and it's it's. It, it impacts me. <laughs> like yeah. I'm getting a little, a little misty about it right now. But um, you know, it it, it it has a huge impact. Uh, I I discovered that the guy who does my intro, the voice, uh, the uh, the guy who announces me, uh, he passed away um, mm-hmm. in 2015, not, not long after we recorded that session. Uh, that you know, there so there's these. Touch points. There's these things about about that show that are just have become so personal to me. Yeah. Um, and to hear people say that how much they enjoy it, how much they get out of it, how much meaningful it is, people you know compliment it, uh, compliment me on it quite often. 
Uh, I love, by the way, because I'm an, I'm openly Christian, uh, and but I don't, I'm not in your face about it on the show. But I do make it a point to say, you know, uh, God bless you at the end of the show, or I'm mm-hmm. praying for people, or uh, you know, things like that. And I do make it a point to to let people know that that is a big part of my life and career. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been astonishing to me how many people have come along and said. Some people come along and say, you know, I'm a Christian too, and I've always been afraid to talk about it. That's mm-hmm. moving on its own. And then there are others who come along and say, you know, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe in God. I don't believe in, in an afterlife. But I really admire that you are willing to be open about that and talk about that mm-hmm. in such a way that's not, a, you know, it's not offensive. It's not, you know, the, I think a lot of times people see Christians, for example, as, as uh Sometimes they're they're seen as bigots or racists or whatever, and I'm not like that. So I think it's mm-hmm. kind of refreshing for people. But mm-hmm. I didn't want to go on that tangent, but that's part of what's evolved out of the show. It's just become yeah. this meaningful part of my life. And that's something that I mean, I, I'm glad you you brought that up because I, when I think about you, not necessarily your public brand, but yeah. kind of who you are as a person, um, those are the things that I think of. Um, yeah. Just from from knowing you personally, and you know, just following you on Facebook and things like that, and just yeah. um, understanding like what you're about, and it's just a good. It, it's I think I think I, I definitely understand why people like what you're bringing to the table, what you're bringing to the podcast. Well, you you mentioned branding basically, um, and I think that that's so that's that that gets talked about a lot, and I don't think people really drill down on what what that can or should mean i mean we talk about brands a lot we know what a brand is we know Mm -hmm. what coca-cola is because of its branding we know what google is because of their branding Mm -hmm. um and when we talk about our personal brands or our author brands you know a lot of times there's a tendency for us to think of authors as being somewhat disconnected a little aloof um Mm -hmm. you know maybe if they're successful if we know they're successful they have mansions with uh, libraries filled with their own books and secret passageways or they have their own custom-made catamaran I, these are two specific authors i've just referenced <laughs> uh and we you know we kind of we look at that and that becomes part of their brand it's their story right mm-hmm. i i made a conscious decision years ago that i wasn't going to write under a pen name although i have some pen names i don't mm-hmm. i don't write primarily under pen names i write under pen names to experiment and uh, to play around with something that may not want to connect to myself, yeah. but uh, if it if it hits, I don't have a problem with someone knowing that it's me. But the the work that I do, I made a conscious decision that it was all going to be me. It's all going to reflect me. Mm-hmm. So if I'm, that's one reason why you can open a Kevin Tomlinson thriller or any other book he's written, and it's not going to be crammed with swear words from page one to page mm-hmm. three hundred. Mm-hmm. It's uh, would you know, and if that's if you have no problem with swearing and being known as someone who swears, that's fine. But I do, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I, I can be a little foul mouthed every now and then. And I, I always regret it. Always. <laughs> <laughs> I turn the air blue and then I regret it. Uh, and then I sometimes get a little too casual with people and I let something slip and I always regret it. Um, but, uh, that happens in the books too, though. So it's, it's kind of, you know, they're the, it's an authentic reality of who I am. That's, mm-hmm. that's the writing. That's the podcast. Yeah, it's even my work at Draft Digital. All of that folds in as part of that brand, um, and I hope it's authentic. <laughs> yeah, and I think that you touch on an interesting point because at the core of everything we do is us in our yeah. particular personal uh, beliefs. Yeah. 
whether you know, however public we are about our own personal beliefs. But it comes through in what you do. Like in this case, you have your podcast, but also you have your books. And these are things that go on to tell our story. Like you said, there are folks who have been on your podcast who are no longer with us, but you're still telling their story. This content becomes our legacy yeah. in a way. And I think it is important for authors to think about what is the legacy that you want to leave behind? What is the message of you that yeah. you want people to discover in your work, whether it's your yeah. podcast or your books? Like, what is what is the, the brand of you that, they, that you want them to remember? You know, and sometimes it's mistakes and all. Um, but I think that, that you have a good outlook on that. And I think that it's very clear, at least from, from all the things that I know about you, it's very yeah. clear of, of who you are and it comes through in your work. And I think that that's um, a, a lesson that a lot of authors can take away from this. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoy, you know, everything you do. Yeah, like I said, I've really enjoyed the Word Slinger podcast. I, I, I like the, your interview style. You're um, one of my new inspirations as a, as a podcaster because I'm always <laughs> trying to get better um, as a, I'm a new podcaster. I, I grew up, I didn't uh, start with um, self, SPP as much as I did with uh, Rocking Self Publishing. That was kind of like my yeah. big inspiration starting yeah. out Simon. I was, I was just listening. Oh, I miss Simon. Yeah, I miss Simon you, too. You can still watch his stuff on, he oh, still yeah. has his shows on, uh, he has like at least two different YouTube channel. Yeah, he's huge on YouTube. Yeah. But I was always uh, envious of that. Like, every time he would sit down with an author every week, I'm like, man, that is so good to be right at the, uh, be the one having this conversation. But yeah. then I also love the idea you were talking about. I love that we're sharing these stories. If Even if everyone has an author podcast, and it seems like there's a million author podcasts out there, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's a personal conversation that we then get to share yeah. with other people. Because maybe someone else doesn't have a chance to connect with us personally and have this conversation, but we're finding out new things about you um, as a result of this. So I, th I think that there will be people who will eventually watch this and listen to this and who get something out of it. And uh, yeah. I don't know. If you do, if you're one of those people in the future, definitely leave a comment and back us up. Yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, Hello, <laughs> future. <laughs> That's the other thing I love about podcasts is the time travel element. Yeah. I think they're very personal. Yeah. Um, in a way that I have to admit writing sometimes is not. Uh, because one of the reasons I, I do my show the way I do, and I I have a spiel before I interview a guest. I get them on. We have a kind of, I use Zoom, and it has like this whole green room thing. It's very cool. Uh, before you hit um, before you hit record, I have this conversation with them, uh, and I roll off these things. I'll, I'll say, you know, I don't, I don't have any pre-written questions, and I don't do any gotcha questions. And that the the idea there is to let them know. First of all, I've had guests who panic when they find out there's no pre-written questions. <laughs> um, one guest in particular, actually, and I also, I've trimmed this down. I used to keep the interviews at 45 minutes and under. Now it's 30 minutes and under. Mm -hmm. um, because I was finding most most interviews were ending at around thirty minutes, mm -hmm. you know, just sort of naturally. naturally. Um, yeah, but I remember interviewing Steve Barry, uh, thriller writer, and uh, I told him, uh, you know, I don't. I told him that spiel. I, I said I keep the interview under forty five minutes for your uh, respect for your time and audience attention span, frankly. And yeah. he says, forty five minutes. Uh, are you going to have enough? You got enough questions to go that long? I'm like, well, that gets me to the second part here, which is I don't have any pre-written questions. And you could just see the terror in his eyes. <laughs> um, 
But when it was all done, he actually complimented me on the interview. And, yeah. you know, I've been doing this long enough, and I worked in radio and TV, you know. I mean, I know how to do an interview. Mm -hmm. um, I know how to get to, to the interesting bits of the conversation uh, if I have a willing participant. Because sometimes mm -hmm. I practically got to hold a gun to somebody's head <laughs> to give them an answer with more than yes or no. Um, yeah. I try not to ask yes or no questions, but, you know, every now and then you'll ask a question expecting them to just explode and expound and, and uh, get really energetic about it. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, dead silence. So brevity is is an art in writing, but not in podcasting. Necessarily. Yes, yeah. yeah. But it's a much more personal uh, form of communication. A form of uh, I don't want to say communication. I'm, I'm a more personal medium because mm -hmm. um, your writing can be very personal. It is very intimate. I think that podcasts can be even more so sometimes because even though there may be two, you know, a couple of people talking. Uh, you're you're usually listening to them, in, you know, with heads headphones, maybe over a car speakers or something. But mm -hmm. most people will listen with earbuds. You know, they're right there with you. Mm -hmm. You know, you're right there. You're in your mind's eye. You're in a room with these two people, uh, listening in on their conversation. They're sitting next to you at Starbucks. You know, and the 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 voice you know carries emotion in a way that text can't. Mm -hmm. You know, um, if you're wa if you have me watching it, you know, you get to see all the body language and, and the subtext of the conversation. And it's just, it becomes this very personal thing. And I think it makes the interview much more meaningful than if you were to read it. So, yeah, that's, that's my, I love podcasting for that reason. <laughs> no, all excellent points. I think that's, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And, um, uh, true to form, you know, as, as per, what we were just discussing and what a good podcast will sometimes do. We blew, we're well past our 30 minutes and oh, easily, minutes. easily breezed into our, into, you know, 40 minutes that's, in here. That's my fault. And what <laughs> I typically do. So no, I think it's a sign of a good, a good conversation is that we were, we got onto some good topics naturally. And like I said, yeah. didn't have to, didn't have to force it, which is, which is great. Um, but in the interest of brevity and the, uh, audience's attention span, we will start to wrap up, but, uh, for people who want to connect with you personally, uh, what are some of the other best places for them to find you and connect? Um, if you are an author and you're interested in, in whatever draft to digital is doing, definitely go to draft2digital.com. If you look at the blog, um, I either write every post or I curate it from somebody. So it's a great source of information for indie authors, uh, no, regardless of your level. And uh, you can find me and the Wordslinger podcast, all my books, everything at kevintumlinson.com. Uh, just surf over there. The, the podcast there. You can get the draft digital from there, too. I've got a link in the yeah. the menu. So that's noticed, the best place to find me. I noticed it was snowing over at your website today. It's <laughs> snowing on the website. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Cool. That's a good reminder because I think it still says pre-order uh, on the ad for – because I have – that's an animated ad for Antarctic Forgery. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the first time I've done an, an animated one on the site, but yeah. I think it still says pre-order, so I need to go and update that. <laughs> I thought your site, for people who are looking uh, for an example of a good author website, you should definitely check out kevintumblesome.com because uh, you've got a really slick website. I think it's fantastic. And, um, I'm glad to hear that because I built that myself, and I, yeah. I maintain it myself. Um, it's one of those things, just like producing the podcast, just like my covers, 
you know, I used to do it all because I, it saved me money, mm-hmm. and now I could afford to pay someone to do it, and I, I can't let it go because it's like I, it's an extension of what I'm doing. Yeah. What was the platform <laughs> you built it on? Uh, that's built on Squarespace. On Squarespace? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, right. no, I think it looks really good. Highly customized at this point, but yeah, it's a, a Squarespace template. Yeah, I love, I love Squarespace and all their, all their options. So, yeah, if you're looking for a, an example of a great website, if you're an author and you want to figure out how to um, step up your game and be as cool as Kevin, uh, check, out, <laughs> check out Kevin's website for sure. And, um, yeah, thank you so much for taking time out of your, your busy day to, to come hang out with us and uh, share your knowledge. And uh, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I've really had a yeah, blast. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I've been looking forward to this. So. Yeah, I hope to have thanks you on. for having me. Hope you have you on again in the future sometime. Next, maybe next time you put out your next thriller or your next adventure. It'll be soon. It'll be like a month from now. The next one's coming <laughs> up. Right. I haven't announced the name yet, or I'd say, but uh, we'll have to we'll have to stay tuned for that. <laughs> all right. Uh, all thanks right. everyone for watching. Um, hope you all. This is the last uh, podcast of the of the year for me. So thanks everyone. I hope you all have a wonderful uh, holiday season. And we'll catch you back in uh, 2019. All right, have a good one.